So John, our podcast numbers have increased. We have more listeners. We're very thankful for that. Just to, just to stop and take a second to thank all of you who have been listening. We really appreciate it joining us on this journey. We are learning, but we are also growing, and we are very thankful that you take the time to subscribe and listen. Yeah, so apparently we've succeeded in our goal of two church planters making at least one good point. Maybe every <laughs> other episode, one good point. That's right. Yeah, well, no, John, it's... I will say as church planters, one of the things that church planters have to be prepared for is to learn from your mistakes and move on. Mm-hmm. We had an email address that was difficult to pronounce because it had a number in it. And so we have changed our email address to reformplanting at gmail.com. Yeah. And at this point, we've kind of finished a series. We have some interviews in the pipeline. One of them's today. If you have things you'd like to hear about or questions for us, please send us an email, reach out reformedplanting at gmail.com. listening to the five points church planting podcast where two church planters try to make one good point on the pod today we are joined by dr peter lee who in the midst of covid and his duties as a full-time seminary professor is beginning his second church plant buckle up and here we go well hunter how are you doing today john i'm doing good how are things in fargo oh it is a balmy 39 it feels like summer people are wearing shorts it is amazing yeah, well, we're going to reach 70 today, and oh. so that will be... But I think we're going to turn cold again, so this is why I'm constantly having headaches living down here in the deep south. Well, we got a guest on our show today. Why don't you introduce him, Hunter? Our guest today is Dr. Peter Lee. He is a seminary professor at Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., and he is also involved with a church plant in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC. He has previous church planning experience. We're excited to have him on our episode today and can't wait to learn more about Dr. Lee and about his love of planting and church multiplication. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lee. Thank you, guys. It is a real joy to be with you, to share thoughts about church planting with all of you guys as well. So to, to kick things off, to start things off, can you tell us just a little bit about your journey in life, your, your childhood, your conversion, a call to ministry, if you could just bring our listeners up to speed yeah. on, on your life? Yeah, thanks, Hunter. I appreciate the, uh, the invite. Uh, you know, I could spend all day talking about what the Lord has done in my life, and, uh, and I'm just so grateful for it. Um, uh, I, I guess, you know, there's a long story here, so I'll just make it a short one <laughs> uh, for everyone. But um, I was born and raised um, in uh, the Korean Presbyterian Church uh, and pretty much uh, raised in that my entire life. Um, uh, my family moved to Los Angeles, California when I was two years old in 1972. Man, I just dated myself. Anyway, the... Um, <laughs> the the immigrant Korean church back in those days was very Korean uh, uh, linguistically culturally. Uh, my generation were uh, one of the uh, first uh, to be born here in the states that became pretty much Westernized and culturized here within the, within the U.S. 
uh, for that reason, as my kind of my friends and we grew up in the church, everything still stayed Korean while we were learning English and becoming more Americanized. And there was a big culture gap, right, uh, and a generational gap there. If you've talked to, uh, uh, and I'm sure you've are familiar with, uh, and and probably know many Korean Christians, uh, uh, you know that that's an ongoing struggle even to this day. Uh, what that basically meant for me is that if they were preaching the gospel, and I'm sure they were, <laughs> it, <laughs> I, I didn't understand it. It was all in Korean. Um, so uh, that was my church experience with sort of an ignorance of understanding the basics of, of Christianity, just the death, resurrection of Christ, faith in Jesus, uh, because the Korean community is so uh, based on uh, obedience and morals and duties that, that became more of the values that was kind of brought into and instilled into me. It wasn't until the Lord brought an English-speaking uh, pastor, Korean pastor, to me to my church that I heard the gospel for the first time, uh, and it was like a Copernican revolution. It was a a radical life transformation. It was understanding the love of God in a really for the first time uh, in in my life, and and nothing changed. Uh, nothing stayed the same uh, after that. Th this all happened the summer before my senior year in high school. Um, and all of a sudden, everything changed. Before, I hated going to church. I dreaded going to church. Uh, but after that, I looked forward to church. It was my favorite thing. I hated Sunday nights because I knew the weekend is over. I had to go back to school. Uh, on mm -hmm. Sundays, I, I was born, uh, my church was a very large church, had multiple services. I went to everything. Um, even the Korean ones, I didn't understand what was going on. I just lived <laughs> being in worship. And um, as as I was growing in that context and really growing in understanding the grace and, and the doctrines of grace, um, I saw my friends who were dying, spiritually just deteriorating. The, the damage of the mm. rubber being the Lord saved me from, but a lot of the guys I grew up with who were close friends, you know, not theoretical guys. These are guys I knew real well did not know the gospel. And as they entered into college and the young adulthood, they began to stray uh, spiritually. And, um, you know, this is not, this is hard to see. These are guys that, that are very close. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, and I was deeply convicted by this and, and wanted to do something about it. Uh, so I began to get involved in, in the teaching Sunday school, even as a college student to younger you know, kids to, to, you know, to try to help avoid what happened to my, to me, yep. to, to sure. the kids under me, because if they're going to reject the gospel, at least they're going to understand it and reject it, not never hear it, you know? And so mm -hmm. in other words, the idea of the, the, uh, those who have never heard the gospel in the, in Southern, in certain uh, underdeveloped areas of the world, I didn't need to go to those underdeveloped areas. They were right in my own backyard. And, and I really want to help avoid that. As that conviction began to grow, it, I began to sense a stronger sense of perhaps a, a call to ministry, that this is something I want to do for the rest of my life. Uh, that youth pastor that I mentioned, um, I remember, will never forget this, gave a sermon where he actually made that appeal that maybe there's some of you that the Lord is calling to ministry. And it was like a light switch came off on, yeah. in my head. And <clears throat> Uh, ever since then, early college years, I've had this strong burden for ministry. Uh, nothing really, I didn't want to do anything else. And mm -hmm. that led me to Westminster Seminary in California, where I graduated from there and then started pastoring um, after that. Um, 
uh, I sort of did a PhD uh, in Semitic languages as I was really, I love the Lord. I love the word. It just, I didn't want to stop studying it. Um, as, as I grew in the, uh, uh, in the Korean church and, and I decided that I needed to experience something different during my PhD day, uh, uh, days, I, I ended up in the Orthodox Presbyterian church, um, and uh, in spite of the fact that I had pastored for like seven years previously, it, it, it was all mm -hmm. experimental. I had no mentorship. And that's part of the problem mm -hmm. in the ethnic Korean churches now. There's very little mentoring for younger pastoral leaders. Um, and I realized I, I didn't know exactly what I was doing. Everything was sort of, you know, ad hoc, off the hip type mm -hmm. pastoral, pastoring. And mm -hmm. I, I remember talking to the pastor at this OP church and saying, I, I really could use some direction here. And um, he said, you know, an internship, I asked about an internship and he said, that sounded great, but for what purpose, for what goal? And I thought just to learn to be pastoring should be enough. And he said, it really helped to be some, to offer something concrete. He suggested planting a church. Um, which at the time wasn't the close, the, it wasn't, you know, in my immediate uh, 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 ideas or plans. Yeah. Uh, but I said, what the heck? <laughs> 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 Why not? And so, yeah. uh, so that's uh, a, a door opened up for me to plant a church. Um, and, uh, and uh, as I began to kind of sense the needs of my community at the time, at this point, I, I'm in Howard County in Maryland, uh, which is sort of uh, 30 minutes west of Baltimore, about an hour north of mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. Right. Uh, it became clear the area there needed more grace-based, Christ-preaching, Reformed Presbyterian churches. Um, I started that work in 2005, and it was singly the best pastoral experience I ever had. Mm. Um, ever since then, I've had a deep conviction and admiration for church planters and church planting. And I had to step down from that in 2010 to focus on what I'm doing now, uh, uh, being a professor here at the seminary, uh, which I don't regret at all. But I have always desired to go back into church planting because my experience was so great, so great. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you brothers, I know have all planted. And so I'm sure you can appreciate the 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 um the benefits and the and the, the blessing we receive by doing that kind right. of work and that's and that's what i experienced and uh and i wanted to be part of that again um but you know in my area in howard county i tried to stoke as many people to start churches um i couldn't pastor the way i used to before uh just because of the duties here i have at the school uh, but I tried to encourage as many different guys as I could to consider planting in the area, and 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 it got no results. Everyone, you know, they're all just a bunch of cowards. <laughs> and um, the needs began to grow, and um, uh, the more people I interacted with, it became more clear to me that we still need more churches in, in my area, and yeah. it just wasn't happening. And um, the Howard County area has a growth rate of about three to 4,000 people per year over the last 10 years. Wow. If you just take 1% of that, that's what, I think my math is right. Uh, or, or it's, um, you know, you, you could easily see five to 10 new churches planted sure. there in that period. And that, that ain't happening. Sure. Uh, right. And so um, 
as I thought about it more, I began to realize that uh, perhaps I'm not following my own word of advice. I'm trying to encourage guys to plant churches, but here I am just sort of, you know, not really doing anything. And, and so after praying about it with my wife, we decided, you know what, uh, I need to stop being hypocritical about this. We, we need to do something on our own. And so as of November of 2020, in the midst of a pandemic, when it makes no sense to start a church, uh, we decided prayerfully to begin the uh, foundational preparations for a new church plant in, in Howard County. And that's sort of the new thing, in addition to my seminary duties that yeah. I do. Under. Yeah. Amen. So we're, that's a <clears throat> topic of conversation that comes up a lot between John and myself and this, this podcast, I started planting in the midst of COVID as well. And it has been challenging. <clears throat> I had to fill out a questionnaire for a church that is supporting us yesterday. And they asked, what is your biggest challenge thus far in the life of the plant? And I just put a few letters as a response and those letters spelled out COVID. And what are your just briefly, what are your thoughts on on planting amidst this pandemic? It, it, well, I mean, uh, you all know it's challenging. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> church planting is challenging already from the start. I don't think we need more hurdles, but yet uh, uh, here it is. The uh, and I, I would appreciate to know how how others are doing it as well. But you know, in many ways, uh, a church planting group has very little to offer it tangibly. We don't have a building. We don't have a playground for children. Our programs are going to be uh, a bit kind of up and developing. The, the best thing that we have to offer, and in many ways, it, it really reduces ministry down to its pure basic core and, and, and retains the spirit of what makes the church the church. It's the people. It's our community. It's, um, it's relationships that we have with one another. Uh, but COVID makes it challenging to develop and nurture those relationships uh, since we can't really organically interact with each other the way that we uh, would in any other circumstance. Um, uh, and, and that's been the biggest challenge that I've been facing is uh, to get a bunch of people. I have a group of about maybe 30 plus. Um, uh, some of them don't know each other, didn't know each other before, and um, and I'm and I'm prayerful and hopeful that they will start to interact with one another on their own. But if uh, you know, if inter if virtual options are the primary means, that that makes it challenging for them to uh, interact, and and so that's been the biggest uh, tr struggle that I've had uh, in the in the in the time that I've been. Now, granted, you know, I've been only at this now for about three months or so. Uh, so it's still very new, but um, uh, uh, but that's been one of the biggest needs and biggest things of prayer that I've been uh, lifting up to the Lord for. So, Dr. Lee, on campus there, you said you got a, your degree in Semitic language, so I imagine you're teaching language courses. What does it look like as a professor to be encouraging students uh, to begin thinking about planting? Uh, how How does that look on the campus there? I, I do it all the time. Um, you know, they're they're young. They're seminary students. They, you know, to some degree, uh, you know, may not be completely aware of the the ministerial road that is ahead of them. Mm. Um, but uh, it, it's something I keep mentioning to students on a regular basis. Uh, you know, especially the ones who have had a solid internship. They've had a good experience in ministry. They've learned a lot. Um, 
you know, uh, in many ways, uh, for a young, I'm sure you guys can appreciate this, uh, perhaps the best experience for a young seminary grad is to take a small group of, uh, of God's people and just pastor them to the best of your ability, do everything, you know, you preach, mm -hmm. you, you counsel, you teach Sunday school, you, you, you do everything. I'll tell you, they will learn so much about pastoral work. They will learn so much about God uh, and, um, and, uh, and, and, and so I, I really encourage that, you know, a church plant might be in many ways uh, uh, challenging because, you know, the, an internship can provide a, you know, ministry as being kind of a, you know, you're in the safe confines of, a, of an internship to kind of watch pastors do their work. In reality, you know, you're improvising, adapting, adjusting all the time mm -hmm. with the things that happen. Uh, church planting is the ultimate form of adaptation, improvisation, and adjustment. You, you can't, there is no rule book that says this is the way it has to be done, and these are the things to expect. You kind of live off the seat of your pants. You trust but that's life. That's 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 pastoral work. Yep. That's what it that's means right. to be a pastor. And so I figure, you know, if you're a young student, go for it. You know, if you really feel challenged and led and convicted, and uh, and you have a deep love for the Lord and for the people that you are working with, go for it. And 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 uh, and apply all the stuff that you have learned, both with what you've seen in your internship and from the seminary and take God's people and, and just love those people to the best you, that, that you can in everything that you've been taught. And I, I honestly think it's one of the best things that a, a young seminary student could do. Well, Dr. Lee, we are all PCA folk here, but you're in the OPC and uh, church planting, right? We're, we're very similar in so many ways, but I imagine your approach to uh, organizing and funding church planting might have some different uh, nuances to it. So can you tell us a little bit about how to you would go about planting a church in the OPC? What does it look like to get that call and where does uh, your support and, and oversight come from? Yeah. Uh, thanks, John. I appreciate you asking about the OP. And by the way, just for the record, as a, I appreciate you letting me an OP guy uh, fellowship with you PCA brothers here and, and, uh, and let me uh, uh, share some thoughts. Yeah. Church planting the OP is, um, is it really is in many ways a, a very, um, uh, and it has been for me, uh, my previous church planning experience was really a great experience in, in, the, in the OPC. In, in some ways, they're, they're not as developed uh, in terms of um, administrative, administratively as a PCA is. Uh, we don't have something like a, an assessment center um, sure. that guys have to go through. Yep. Um, in fact, I just sort of started my work and then found uh, local presbytery support sort of a little bit backwards. Um, the the OP um, will uh, it, it will provide funding to some extent uh, for church plants that's I know different uh, in terms of policy with the PCA. Uh, the funding though isn't meant to support the work. It, the funding is meant to support the local church planter to help offset the salary, hmm. and so it's given to the work, but the the money is basically meant to provide for his uh, income and and well being. The um, the local oversight in the OP has a uh, uh, basic standard procedure in the OP that, that I've seen has been to, pr to put together a provisional session uh, mm -hmm. that where they are borrowing uh, elders from local other OP churches that will for a, a, a short time until uh, uh, 
they will serve as the temporary session for a mission work. Um, until that mission work can establish their own internal uh, ordained leadership, that's sort of the way it works. Now, it, it's challenging. Um, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure how it's done in the PCA, truthfully. I'd be curious to know. The, the, the problem or the difficulty with a provisional session, from my experience, and you know, I've had my church plant uh, from you know, 15 years ago. Uh, I've been actually a member uh, uh, of a provisional session for other local OP church plants in the area that uh, unfortunately none of them have, uh, have uh, continued. Um, the difficulty is, you're, you're, is that you're, you as an ordained leader are, are, have the authority, uh, are the ordained authority and the leader of a, of a group, but you have very little relationship with this group. Uh, in other words, it seem, it's mildly authoritarian. Uh, you follow my rule and what I say because I am the elder, even though we don't really know each other that well. And, and, and to a certain degree, we have to do that. I realize that. But to do it in such a way where there's very little confidence and, and trust um, makes provisional session work uh, very challenging. And, and I, honestly, I would love to see some more... Um, uh, you know, healthy experimentation in the OPC on how they do things like this and providing oversight. And uh, I'm not sure what that might be, but uh, but there definitely needs to be some thoughts on 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 uh, being Presbyterian uh, in a way that uh, honors the plurality of leadership, even in the context of a, of a mission work. I'm, I don't know exactly what that would look like. The provisional session kind of works. At least on paper, um, mm-hmm. but in real life ministry, it, it it's tough, and and yeah. so, um, yeah. so that's sort of how the the OP does it. Sure. Um, the um, the I honestly would also like to see a, a lot of preparation for church planters in the OP. Uh, some mild assessment uh, would be helpful instead of just uh, putting anyone out there on the field. Uh, church planting, as you know. You know, requires a different subset of uh, of gifts and and skills. Um, you you can't really try to plant a church and pastor it the way that you might traditionally pastor an established church. Mm. Uh, and um, uh, what I oftentimes see is a lot of guys planting who who are unable to adjust and adapt and improvise to their settings and kind of default to more traditional models. And that, that just isn't going to work in some situations. So uh, right. some assessment, uh, some gift assessment, some um, sure. training, mentorship, um, I think would be things that the, the OP could really value and, and learn in terms of the, you know, the, uh, uh, in terms of trying to nurture and to retain church plants to, to grow and, and thrive. Right. So to help our listeners who might be outside of the PCA or the OPC, um, in our in our denomination, the PCA, you typically see three things, two more than the third, first two more than the third. The first is a, a provisional session, as you mentioned, as you discussed. There are strengths, there are definitely weaknesses. Secondly, would be a mother church that's planting a daughter church, and so the elders of that mother church serve as the elders for the church plant. And then third would be in our book of church order, a presbytery can commission a, an evangelist to plant a church. And there are some, I think there's some real 
pros to that, there are also some cons. The M&A committee can often serve as the that's mission to North America can serve as the session for the church planter. So you are a church planter. You have a heart and a passion for church multiplication. You are a seminary professor as well. So as you interact with students, but faculty as well, how does your love of evangelism and outreach and church multiplication, how does that influence those conversations that you have with, with both groups? Yeah, it, it, it's a good, um, honestly, it, it's, it's a good blend. And in many ways for me personally, it, it allows for me to, I guess, satisfy two different aspects of, of my own kind of the, the way that I'm wired. Um, I love the academic community. I love the scholarship and, and, and um, I love uh, getting into these discussions on doctrines, uh, exegesis, uh, biblical theology, and so forth. But I'm, I'm also a pastor. Uh, the Lord has given me uh, a heart for pastoral work. I don't know how to turn that switch off. Um, I don't know how to not be a pastor. I, I guess that's something I've learned over the last 10 years being outside of the pastoral work. Mm. Being, being a pastor is, you know, doing pastoral work is who we are. It's not just what we do. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to not think that way. And to not pastor was very difficult. And, and in many ways, um, the students that are around here, I've sort of adopted over the years as sort of a as a quasi congregation. And, and, mm -hmm. and that's even, you know, even that's a bit tricky because I'm not their pastor. You know, they, I've made no vows to care for their spiritual well being the same way that a pastor does. And, and I need to respect those boundaries. Um, but uh, it, it's just, you know, the nature of relationships sort of uh, uh, grows. Um, I find that uh, the more that we have men uh, in the seminaries, professors who have pastoral experience, whether it's church planting or not, who can offer that insight to students in the classroom is is incredibly helpful, especially for a school that that prides itself on trying to prepare leaders for the church. And that type of instruction is more than just a section of a lecture that says, "Now, now practically here's what you want to do with what I just said. It's more of an integration of the classroom and pastoral work at a level where the pastor is doing both at the same time. He's both giving you truths of scripture and giving you insights of pastoral work in every lecture that he does just because he is speaking naturally with who he is in the way that the Lord gifted him. Uh, so that type of dialogue amongst faculty uh, is important to remember our goal. What are we trying to do here? We're trying to build up pastor scholars uh, or scholar pastors, depending on how you want to emphasize that, uh, that idea that um, it is a, a, a nurturing and discipling of both the intellect and the will of young Christian leaders as they go into the church and knowing how to do that. For, um, uh, for uh, students, uh, it's it's great for them to uh, to see that um, as well that uh, the the truths that we give to them at the end of the day has to make a difference in the in the lives of God's people. Um, in fact, in many ways, we have to remember that's exactly what the Bible is there for. It was written to God's people, not in an esoteric, uh, idiosyncratic way. It was written in a way that was very understandable to a certain degree, clear, uh, that made a difference in their lives. 
uh, in our duties as, as, as pastors is to communicate the word of God to them so that they come, that they can comprehend it. And, um, and so the, the, the two aspects there, um, uh, of, of my life, the academy versus the ministry, I find is a good, healthy balance for both, you know, the, uh, f- for the professors and what we are called to do, as well as for students and what we are trying to train them, uh, trained them to do as well. So you're in the uh, number of folks who've been an answer to your own prayers to see more churches planted as a former church planter. And so you're starting your second one, Hunter's in the same boat. Um, and I always think that that's such an interesting dynamic to, to have gone through the process, to have taken a break and then to have come back to it. Uh, can you think of a couple things um, that maybe you learned along the way in your first plant that are really going to be a, a helpful guide for you now as you're looking to get this next one off the ground? Yeah, um, yeah, that's a great question, uh, John. Um, it, it's it's definitely the importance of community uh, in, mm-hmm. in in a church plant, and, and in fact, the the first church plant, uh, the the one thing that people constantly commented on, and, and and probably this is a way that the Lord uh, helped us grow as a church uh, was just to strengthen the love of the community, the, mm. the people in the way that they loved each other, as well as the way that they loved guests and uh, uh, people who came in. And even very early on in, in our in the initial church plan, we had you know crises after the crises. You know, sin seems to know no bounds. It doesn't care if you're a startup; <laughs> it's not going to ease <laughs> off on you. And 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 Satan's not going to, uh, if anything, may come a little more aggressively to those who are vulnerable. What a jerk! Anyway, the. Um, uh, it, it just makes it uh, as we are assaulted to a certain extent. It just makes the and and of course the Lord is greater, praise God, and He is stronger, and and that's what the grace of God and the and the sovereignty of God uh, gives to us. And and as we apply that to our people and see them respond in in a situation where again they they have nothing else but each other, mm-hmm. yeah, for support, and to see them come together like that. Uh, was such a rewarding thing. And that's what I'm slowly hoping to see will happen. It, and it is happening. It's just mm-hmm. happening a little slower uh, with this situation here. Um, uh, so that's, that is one of the uh, uh, great things that I learned the first time around that I'm definitely hoping to apply. The other is, um, you know, um, I, I, I think uh, through my first church planning experience, I, I have come to deeply appreciate Matthew 16, Uh, verses 16 to 18, where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against her. Mm -hmm. Uh, If church planting taught me anything, it taught me the reality and the blessed hope of that promise by by Jesus to us, that he will build his church. Mm. Uh, In many ways as a church, you know, we do the best we can. We're responsible. We're not lazy. We're not, we're not reckless. We're not careless. But at the end of the day, we just sort of sit back and watch it happen. And, and, and that's what I sort of saw. Uh, I did the best I could, but Jesus is the one, you know, who built his church. He is that's the right. one who led these non-believers to faith. He is the one that, that ministered to this family in crisis. He is the mm. one that, uh, that nurtured these covenant children to make profession. I didn't do that. Uh, in fact, in hindsight, I, I can't think of a single thing that I did that was actually 
that solved a problem. Even the young, you know, uh, uh, junior high student that came to me and was heartbroken that the young girl that he was sweet on said no. What am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. How, how do I fix that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't. And even in the smallest of things, you just realize that if the Lord doesn't work, nothing's going to happen. And uh, mm-hmm. and the Lord worked. And and what I'm hoping that this group will start to see as we are growing and progressing and and um, stabilizing that they will see the same truth mm. that what we are sitting here and we are what we are eyewitnesses to is the reality of the promise that Jesus made that he is holding to. He is building his church. The gates of Hades is not prevailing against us. He is the one that's doing it. And we are the direct beneficiaries. Um, we are the instruments of, uh, of whom the Lord will use, but we are the direct beneficiaries of, of, um, of that promise. That is a good word. And as I hear you talk about that, it just makes my heart glad that you are training and leading seminary students as as men prepare for ministry, that you are um, encouraging them and pointing them to church multiplication. That's exciting. I'm thankful that you're at RTS in Washington. I'm thankful that you joined us today on our podcast and um, just really appreciative for everything that you had to say. Thanks so much. Well, thank you again, you guys, for the invitation. It was fun to kind of reminisce and uh, reflect <laughs> back and to uh, share thoughts again on on what the Lord is doing now through my new church, the Word of Life Presbyterian Church in Howard County, Maryland. And, uh, and I hope that uh, another year from now, maybe we get together and share more successes of what the Lord is doing in both of them and all of our lives. That sounds great. Thanks so much. That's the last word for now. This episode was sponsored by Auxilio Partners, building the legal, business, and technology infrastructure for church plants. Find out more at auxilio.partners slash five points. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at five points planting or at our new email address, reformedplanting at gmail.com. See y'all next time.